Hey, it's Jeff. Thanks for downloading this podcast. And do yourself a favor to hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Our special guest this time is a talker with a rather unique delivery and opinions and knowledge and compassion and wit and not a whole lot of fear, at least not outwardly, which bodes well for what he does every morning at six o'clock. Recently married, he had a very big scare weeks ago. Scary for anyone really, but especially for such a young man. I'd been thinking he'd be a superb guest at the Blue Hotel and lo and behold, a message from him thinking the same thing. So here we are. As I introduce, he who identifies as a social commentator and captain of the gays. In fact, our very first out gay guest as we welcome radio host, writer, presenter from Vancouver, Drex. Hi, Drex. That's the nicest introduction I've ever heard about myself. <laughs> <laughs> what do the other people say? Just awful, awful things. <laughs> I knew you from talk radio for some time. Although I wasn't in Vancouver, that's where you did a talk show for how long, Drex? Jeez, I did different incarnations of talk shows for maybe eight years. Yeah. Did you start in talk or did you start with music like everybody else? No, I was I was a music guy. I worked an alternative rock station and <laughs> apparently I had too many uh, mouthy opinions. So they're like, let's try this guy down the hallway. It's when they were getting around to sort of getting rid of the 70 and 80 year old guys that were still on air and they started hiring a they, I think they hired about six or seven guys that either weren't ever in radio or were working at rock stations. <laughs> and it, it worked out for me, I guess. Well, tell me this back way up. Wh where did you start in radio? Because a lot of people start in towns that nobody's ever heard of. A little place called Fosterton Curry. It's on the, the coast of New South Wales, just a little bit north of Newcastle. So really good surfing beaches. When you envision a, an Australian surfing community, that's it. There's a little co-op station there that my mother used to have a i think just purely a sexual relationship with the manager <laughs> really so yeah because I, I went to school with his daughter and our parents always used to hang out together <laughs> we knew what they were up to so i took advantage of that and, and and used that connection with him to be able to do a show on the radio station so i started doing that when i was 14 years old how would you characterize your presentation at 14 on the radio Oh, probably dreadful. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard a tape of it either. I'm sure it's awful, but I, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. We all know those guys and women in radio, at least guys that I know. I don't know of any women that are that vain, that hold on to everything they ever did from the early days. And quite frankly, I thought I was so bad, I threw everything away. You threw it away? Those cassettes, air checks, we call yeah. them, right? So you could go to your boss the next day and he'd, he'd listen yeah. to you and tell you all the things you're doing wrong, maybe something you were doing right. I threw them all away. They were so embarrassing. I ended up working for the government for a while for Triple J in Australia. And I, and I think I, I don't think I ever kept an air check from that radio station, but every commercial radio job I've ever had, I think I still have a tape somewhere. People that get into radio, and, and correct me if, if, if I've got a different view than, than what you remember, you know, they were the guys that got in for music, and they were the guys that got in to be the guy next door, you know, be light and cheery and, and, and do the weather. And, and, and 
take phone calls and be nice to people. And then there were the sports guys. And then there were the people that got into news. What was your want or desire or vision for you as somebody being on the radio? I, I was a music lover, but I just wanted to go to free concerts. I think that <laughs> right. was... I think that was my thing. I really enjoyed going to see bands and I was like, well, if I worked at a radio station, I could probably get free tickets. And if I get the free tickets, I could probably meet the band. And I guess if I work the radio station, I get to interview them. <laughs> I did exactly that. Why not? How long did you do that in Australia? I did that until I was 30. And that was when I moved to Canada. I think I'd reached my peak of what I could do in my career in that country. And I just sort of, maybe I'd burn a few bridges along the way. And I thought maybe a different country would offer me something different. I started sending out a bunch of tapes and I happened across this guy called Tarzan Dan. And at the time I had no idea who this guy was. I, I, I just not a clue. And he's like, oh, send me a tape. But, you know, I, I, you know, I might give you a few tips or whatever or, 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 or get in contact with a few people for you. And I was like, oh, this guy seems really cool. And then I realized who he was. I looked him up. He was a big famous radio DJ in the 90s, and he'd since moved around to different parts of Canada. And I think at this time he was living in Kelowna. I felt that people in Canadian radio were welcoming of, uh, of, uh, of new voices, different voices from different places that were interested in Canadian radio. Um, hey, yeah, how can we help you? What, what can we do to help you? And I'd never really experienced that before, where people in radio in this particular country are friendly with each other and, and like each other and have nice things to say about each other. It's, 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 actually, it's actually quite refreshing. What other ties did you have to Canada besides thinking it'd be a great place to do radio? My great-grandfather was born in Victoria, BC, a long, long, long time ago, late 1800s, and uh, was actually an illegal immigrant to Australia. And I thought, well, uh, well, if he can come here and make a life of it and always get away with it, maybe I can go there one day and, and live. So I did that when I was 30. Uh, family back home that wondered, what the heck, why are you leave? Don't leave us. Yeah. Yeah. Safe distance of 14,000 kilometers. <laughs> How often do you go back? <laughs> the last time I went back is when my dad had a massive heart attack, which was probably June of this year. So At it, what we, age was he? Oh, he was 69. He just turned 70 in, in the last few wow. weeks here, actually. And he survived it. He survived, yeah. Had a, ended up having a triple bypass. Wow. And I, you know, I, I wanted to be there, you know, just in case. Well, that leads us to, to this part of the conversation, November 22nd. What happened? Something big, something unexpected. I had a heart attack. Wow. At 43? Yeah. Yes. And completely out of the blue. Like, you had no idea you had issues. Had no idea. Had no idea. Wow. Uh, I was eating dinner, watching the news, and uh, chest started feeling really tight, like across my like pecs, like where those bones are across the your sternum. Like everything was feeling tight and felt like it was burning. My breath was a little short, and I was like, "I think this is. I'm pretty sure this is a heart attack." So I I called my husband. Um, he didn't answer the phone at the time. He was with a client. He's an RMT. Um, so I called my friend Jody and she's like, hang up this phone, call 911 immediately. So I did. And, you know, they got me to the hospital pretty quickly. And within 25 minutes of getting to the hospital, they'd had a look and noticed that, that I had a 100% blockage on one of my arteries and an 80% on another. So they stented the 100% blockage the day I got there. And about four days later, because you generally stay in hospital for about four or five days, they stented the other one. And then let me go home. So they saved my life. And and have you been back to the hospital? Like, do you have to check in? 
Um, yeah, I, I, I have a cardiologist that I have to check in with. Um, I've had my first checkup and, and things seem to be going along well. But, you know, it's a, it's a complete lifestyle change. I've had to change what I eat. What were you drinking and eating uh, that, 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 that led to this, you figure? Probably more naughty things that I probably shouldn't at my age. But, you know, I, I, I like things that taste delicious. Burgers. Um, I, yeah, you know, burgers and, and you know, just fatty, delicious things. <laughs> I know. You know, a bag of chips. I, I wasn't really a drinker, so that's not so much an issue. But I do like food. I like lots of Chinese food. I like lots of uh, Taiwanese food. So to be told I can't have chicken that's been deep fried <laughs> is uh, it's quite devastating. How dare they? What's the outlook as far as they're concerned? What do they tell you? If you change your eating habits and, and, I, and I presume exercise, what's, what's the story? It's, it's, it's all good. If you do all of those things, if you eat well, if you exercise, you can, you know, they don't tell you never to eat these things again. Just, uh, just have them in moderation. Like Oscar Wilde said, everything in moderation, including moderation. I have to get used to a term I've never heard before, leftover bacon. <laughs> right. But yeah, I don't even eat bacon anymore. It's it's weird. Oh, wow. Like I eat healthy, delicious things in the morning. And lots of my friends have taught me about, you know, their simple tricks for nutrition. You, you never stop learning as an adult. You think you've got everything dialed and then you, then you almost die. <laughs> so, you know, listen to people around you. Um, did you ever take uh, medications before? No, no. I, 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 before this, I'd never really taken medications, except for maybe a heartburn pill. So how many pills a, a day do you take now? Oh, my God. I think uh, at last count, it was 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's like, a, uh, there's blood thinners. There's, I got to take aspirin every day for the rest of my life. Uh, cholesterol lowering medication, blood pressure medication. I, I take a prep pill. Mm -hmm. Yes, I take a probiotic. Oh my God, there's so many different things. Uh, we'll have to come back to prep because I want to know more about that. It's funny how we we trust, you just trust blindly the medical profession. Just the other day after 15 years of taking a um, antidepressant pill, I, I finally looked up the uh, side effects. And, and one of them was sore muscles, muscle aches. I've been having muscle aches and not sleeping through the night for yeah. about you know 10 of those 15 years. And, and why didn't I read about it? Because you don't want to know. You just want to get better. You blindly go through life. So I guess you're less blindly going through life now that you've had this big scare. Yeah, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm paying more attention. I, I read all the pamphlets. You know, when you go to the drugstore and they fill a script, I'm like, okay, what is this? Am I, is it going to make me shit my pants? You know, <laughs> that's, that's number one, really, isn't it? <laughs> right. I just, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, not going to have uh, psychotic episodes, you know, that, those sort of things. I, I want to know what the drugs are going to do to my body. So it's, it's kind of weird <laughs> because some doctors have different names for things than what the actual technical name is that will say it on the side of the bottle. So you got to, there's a little, no matter what, we, we still haven't figured out the perfect equilibrium between uh, what doctors prescribe you, what they call it, and what is printed on the bottle. It can still be kind of confusing to people. <laughs> me especially. You're not wearing uh, reading glasses because you don't really need to see me, but do you read? I mean, who can read the fine print on those pamphlets and those pill bottles? Um, I, I, I should be wearing glasses, actually. I, I've, I've left them in my car outside. You've actually just reminded me of where I put them. I'm much better looking uh, without your glasses. Of course, this is audio. Uh, we'd produce the video, but, you know, we have faces for radio. No offense. Um, 
silly radio jokes <laughs> insert here. <laughs> so I've always, it was about three years ago, not even, that I came out uh, on the radio as bi. Um, and I thought to myself, it was a big step for me in my 50s, right? And in the year 2020-something, mm. you know, almost 2021. Um, when did you do it? And and was it difficult? And was it a challenge? And how did it go? Coming out or coming out, coming out on, in professionally? Yeah, both things, really. Why don't we go back to the first one? Sure. I was never in. Probably the first time I talked about it with anybody else, I was probably 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. I talked about it with my parents when I was 17, but they always knew. So who was the first person you talked about? A friend, I suspect. Yeah, a friend at school who then decided to go tell everybody. And it's generally what happens to some people. Hey, you're never going to believe uh, it. Drex is gay. Right, that, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah, that sort of stuff. How, how which, did that you know, go? Can, well, it can destroy a, a teenager. Did it? Especially right at the start. Of, oh, a little, yeah. How so? Made me wary about trusting people. So early 90s, approaching yeah. your teens, the coming of age years, as it were. And uh, how tough was it? I think it frightened me the first couple of years. But then I just realized it didn't. I think the world was starting to change. So I was like, well, I have a decision to make here. I can pretend to be straight on the radio, which is pretty much what people were doing at the time. Or I can just... Uh, just be me. And I went with column B and I guess I was never in on the radio. Like I never, you know, some, I know some radio DJs would go as far to work up an entire backstory about themselves. Well, here's the thing. Um, what would be the content that you'd be talking about on the radio that would, that would lend to saying, to exposing yourself yeah. as gay or not gay? Because, you know, I got into radio. I was, I was, I was in it for music like you were. And I, I mm. kind of still am. The podcast yeah. is different, but on the radio, I just, I just talk about music and, and play music. So there's never, yeah, and there's that never was, really a reason to, to bring out my sexual yeah. you know, preference. It's exactly the same thing. I, I, I just, I was there to do my job. And if it, if it came up in discussion, even from a listener on the phone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hide it. Right. You know, I was, I was still a teenager uh, and I was single. I was single until I was probably 19. So, it, it, you know, relationships never came up as a discussion point either. So if it did come up, if someone asked a question and if it was a live situation, it wasn't denied. The way you, um, the way you appear, uh, the way your voice sounds, uh, it would be easy to hide, wouldn't it? Just in the way you... Uh... And dress and appear. You're not effeminate. You're not flamboyant. Or a bit. Well, I've seen the shirt that you have in your promo picture, so that's a little flamboyant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think I can be. I think I can be. But I, 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 once again, you know, also coming up in radio in the '90s as well, you taught a level of diction and professionalism and the, the, way, the way to present yourself. So that's you know, those affectations are a thing. Sounding like the other people uh, that are doing the thing that you're being. Yeah. Do, you, right? Yeah. It's like if you want to make the money, you kind of need to sound like that guy over there a little right. bit because that's kind of the sound they're hiring. So you did, obviously we all did that. It's you know, take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you you figure out something of your own along the way. And um, environment affects everything. I mean, if I hang out in, in, in London for three weeks, I, I sound like a Londoner. By that token, if I go hang out in, in, in the gay part of Vancouver or go hang out in the, in, in the neighborhood in Toronto, I start sounding a little more uh, effeminate. No question, because you're mm -hmm. around it. But there are a lot of uh, outwardly gay sounding, as it were, hosts now compared to what there were years ago. There's a, there's a whole documentary about Is that, that about do, do I sound gay? Oh wow. 
How was that? It came out a bunch of years ago where it kind of dives into that where, you know, people would make an assumption, you know, if a man sounded a certain effeminate way, there would be an automatic assumption that, well, well they must be gay. They must be queer. Um, and that's not always the case. So, Tell me about um, what you experienced coming to Canada to do radio uh, and, and your evolution as a, as a presenter who went from music to talk. And was there any strangeness, weirdness, odd questions, discrimination ultimately around uh, sexual preference as it relates? Not at all. Not once. Great. Not once. Yeah. And, I, and I, when I first got here, I was, uh, I was up in the Kootenays. Uh, in the West Kootenai sort of area of uh, British Columbia, which is like this nice little sort of area where there's, you know, lots of Russian history. There's lots of hippies in Nelson. You know, I lived in Castlegar. You know, Trail was very working class. There's a big, uh, like, smelter there. In fact, I think that's where the, uh, the, uh, the water for the atomic bomb came from. Wow. Yeah, of all places. I'd kind of grown up in small communities, so I, I, I always liked small towns. So I went there as the program director and the morning guy, and... Uh, I moved there with my then uh, boyfriend and we were welcomed with open arms. There wasn't any discrimination whatsoever. Not the entire two years I was there. It was, I thought that was quite odd considering I was living in a town of 8,000 people in the middle of nowhere. There's something pretty wonderful about British Columbia. I have to say uh, the interior included that. I don't know. I, I, you might not get the same thing in Southern Alberta. Mm. I loved Nelson, by the way. Did you ever go to the, uh, what is it? Red Sands beach? Yeah, Nelson was uh, Nelson was a constant hangout. Especially, uh, it's a really nice place to go in the summer. They have the Caslow Jazz Festival up the lake there. And they have the uh, the main stage is actually a pontoon in the water. Cool. Right, it's beautiful. Yeah. There. Oh, I I would I would live there again tomorrow. It's uh, you know a lot of people uh, yearn for uh, the West Coast. You know they want to live near Tofino or on Vancouver Island somewhere or or up on the Sunshine Coast, but I'm like, give me the Kootenays any day of the week. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I like riding my motorbike into there and hanging out. Um, it's like Pleasantville in a, in a good way, though. Everything's clean, yeah, clean neat, and yeah. tidy, but very much uh, you're in nature. I'll say this about uh, Castlego, yeah. which is the place where I lived. It had a really uh, vibrant and thriving uh, community garden scheme. Uh, and it was the most amazing thing. You think it sounds lame and a little hokey, but every single business would be involved in having planters out and, and full of beautiful flowers in the spring. It's also, if you ever happen by Castlegar, it has the most uh, outdoor sculptures of any small town in North America uh, because they have a sculpture program. Uh, which the radio station always sponsored that I worked at. We uh, always made sure it was a musical themed sculpture. <laughs> so you can just, you can walk around this small town of 8,000 people. There's sculptures and beautiful flowers everywhere. It's wonderful. Are you artistic? Oh, very much so. But I haven't, I haven't been tapping into that for many years. What, what sort of is your leaning uh, music, art, what? Painting, uh, like uh, drawing and painting. It's something I used to do consistently and constantly as a kid and i think uh when i hit my early 20s and and started you know taking the media you know a little too seriously as a business i stopped doing that for some reason yes we lose our child if we allow it well yeah we get busy making money largely and uh yeah, yeah living life mentioned social commentator you more than a lot of people on the radio um say what you feel and and, and mean what you say when you got into talk radio in Vancouver, 
uh, and had a talk show. How long, first of all, were you on the radio at any given time? Three, four hours. And, and, and talk radio is much easier said than done because there's no song to play. You have to keep talking, short of having a few commercials to play and maybe having some good phone calls to put on the radio. It's all up to you. Was that a huge challenge? No, because I like telling stories. That's the key, isn't it? And that's and that's what it is. It's all about, are you able to tell a story about the news story you just read? Like, you know, you, if you're a talk radio presenter, you, you're probably reading a lot of information every day about any given subject, whatever the news of the day is. That's the best way to describe what talk radio is, is they're basically talking about what the news is doing, right? And they dive a little bit deeper and they want to, they ask the hard questions or they ask the softball questions, depending on which talk station you're listening to. You can have a bit of a memory for information and statistics and knowledge quickly. It's, it's no different to being a sportscaster. I think in talk radio, you need to be one of those people when it comes to the news. You need to be watching and absorbing pretty much everything around you that's a news story. Uh, as I recall, mm. you know, working in corporate radio for some time, not doing my specific music-focused uh, radio show, but doing kind of the, what are the hot buttons of the day? Talk about those things in your own unique way. So your Drex, so what's your angle mm. going to be? Is it comedy? Is it humor? Is it taking the contrary position? Is it is it digging in? Is it getting opinions from people? What was your angle? What was the fun of it? You know, if it's a serious story, maybe there's not going to be fun. You know, if it's a, it's a, you know, a dead human or something like that then you have to be serious, but it's always about the story, the telling of the story. Can you make it fun? Is there an angle here that people may be pissed off at? You know, how do I work my opinion into this? And cause you, I, I think you know that you're going to walk into it knowing that you're going to annoy some people. <laughs> so you got to be prepared of, okay, how are they going to be annoyed? What's going to happen? And I think the internet changed the way that people, communicate with talk stations. It's a much different environment than it was many years ago. Because anything goes? Anything's a news story now. Like, you know, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, the day that the Prince Harry book comes out. That's the big news story of the day that we're recording this podcast. And you can bet your ass that every single talk station in North America has touched on this today for one or two segments. They probably even got a royal commentator on to talk more about it. You've had all day to think about it. You were on the radio this morning. What's what's your take uh, on this particular story right now? I did my take yesterday. Uh, and my take was, this guy's oversaturated. This guy is constantly blaming the media for, and look, no doubt, the British media, absolutely racist. The royal family, yes, they're racist. We know this. We already know this. This is not a surprise to any person listening to this. But he has decided to put it in a book uh, and blame the media for all of this, but then expect the media to turn around and beg him for an interview and give us, give us 20 minutes of your time. And he's on this TV show and this TV show. It's like, okay, you're a hypocrite now. It's time to move away. It's <laughs> like that, that. This is my take on this. You, you've now sucked up all the oxygen in the room. My memory of, of Prince Harry was he was uh, a young kid. His mother died. Next thing I knew, he was wearing a swastika at a costume party. Next thing I knew, he was in the army. And he mm. seemed like a really cool guy trying to be every man rather than privileged man. And then finds the pretty actress and then gets hooked up. And then a shitstorm 
And and what's the shitstorm based on beyond the fact that uh, she's a person of color? That's the shitstorm. That's the is only, that the only shit shitstorm. Storm? It's always it's uh, I think that's the shitstorm is is she was different. She was from a different country. Uh, he, he wasn't going sticking with tradition. That's that's what started all of it. And, it, and you know, the, you got you got guys like uh, Piers. What's his name? Who's constantly on television <laughs> mouthing off. Piers Morgan constantly mouthing off about this woman. It's just a terrible, terrible human. It's it's who is this person? Who's this interloper that's not from here? Oh, it's another actress. She's smart as hell. What happened to the it being acceptable for light skinned black people to be uh, hooked up with uh, Caucasians? What happened to that? Well, we are talking about uh, the royal, the British royal family. You can, you know, you can just imagine what. Uh, what their rules would be internally. Yeah, but it's funny though, to me that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're largely, well, no one's head's going to come off because they did the wrong thing. Um, we're not living in that time. We're not killing each yeah. other. And, and, and to become king, you're not killing the other king. It's shocking to me that in 2022, three, that this is still a conversation. How do you keep a job talking oh, with, with an opinion in a corporate in a corporate media uh, station, it's uh, how do you do? It's uh, it's a bit of it's a bit of a dance. How many? It's a bit of a times dance. have you been fired or quit? Um, how many? I jeez, oh, I've been fired. Uh, I think four times. What were the reasons? Oh jeez, uh, the first reason I was fired is I told a listener to fuck off once on on the telephone. I was having a bad day and I just reacted. They complained about it. I got fired for Well, that. it wasn't on the air. It was on the um, telephone. It, was off. it wasn't, wasn't on the air. It was just on the oh, telephone, right. yeah. What did, um, what did the person want or say? Jeez, uh, I don't even remember now. But it, I remember I was having a bad day and it's just it was just like, fuck off, and then hanging up, which is hilariously now in 2023, I could do that a million times and no one would uh, bat an eyelid because it's literally, if there's a fuckwit on the telephone, you're a fuckwit. Goodbye. And that's the end of the conversation. I, I think I've learned to stick up for myself a lot better than I was doing in my early 20s. I, talk radio will do that to you, thankfully. And not only with, not um, only with the public, but with, uh, with, with management. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, they, they know what they hired. They hired a, an opinionated, mouthy guy. You know, I tone the opinion down. I don't, I don't go full crazy. I don't... Uh, you know, I, when I was in talk radio, it was my job to, and, and boy, did I love it, taking politicians to task on a daily basis. That doesn't always work for a morning FM audience that uh, tuning in to hear ELO and a time call. So I work it as much as possible into the thread of the show, and it seems to work ratings-wise. So. so for people who don't know, after these years on the radio doing talk radio, now your radio show is Drex on Jack, and Jack plays music, Variety with Lena and No Fun Bobby, which leads me to, mm. why isn't Bobby any fun? It's just a funny name, isn't it? Uh, it's a, a, a name given to him by a corporate entity who no longer is uh, has any control over us. <laughs> <laughs> but he held on yeah, his it was, Yeah, it was, it, it was a suit. It was a suit at the current company going, oh, I think this is a great idea. I'm like, well, it's the worst idea possible. But uh, Bob being Bob wanting to please everybody is like, yes, we'll just stick with it. <laughs> Well, tell me this, you know, I, I always thought that authenticity was everything because you could act for a long time, whether it's um, in your personal life 
or on the air or any job you do. There's there's authenticity or there's not. There were radio hosts that take the contrary position to be contrary, not because they believe in it, because it's just the way to go. You go, you know, you go black, I go white. You go yes, I go no. Um, how do you approach it though? Because I get a feeling that over time it would be really boring and 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 not much fun at all yeah. if you were just doing it uh, as an actor rather than as a legitimate, authentic person. So how does it work on a morning show with you guys? Because I find you very funny, but you're not really arguing about stuff. You're more making light of things and, like you said, finding the fun in the story. How does it work? Yeah, with, and that's... The dynamic of it with three people on the radio. Um, uh, yeah, the dynamic's interesting because sometimes Lena and I will agree on almost everything, uh, but then there'll be something... Uh, small that we'll disagree on that will turn into something and, and we look for content in everyday stuff just things that we're doing i think the most dangerous thing uh, about morning radio is if you're not willing to talk about what's going on in your personal life in an honest way not in a oh let's uh put a cheery bend on the <laughs> me and the wife got into our fight in the kitchen this morning that shit's done that's not a that's not a you know, that's not a thing anymore. Bullshit uh, that sort of that sort of cheesy type of FM morning happy happy radio is not a thing. I think if you're completely honest, if you say something's bullshit uh, and you think it's bullshit and you just you know, if you just stick with the fact that it's bullshit, uh, someone will go, "All right, I appreciate the fact that he thinks that's bullshit too." And you laugh when it's funny. That's what I love about your morning show. Lena is funny, you're funny. Uh, Bobby's funny in all in your own mm. way, but you know, the shows where everyone's laughing and nothing's funny. And that's why I left a lot of radio listening to yeah. it, that is because there wasn't really legitimately any, what, what is that? Why do people do that? Do they feel pressure uh, to I, sound? Yeah. I, I think it's a corporate thing. Corporate uh, corporations still, and not all corporations, you know, it, it, it varies from company to company. It varies from boss to boss. It just depends on, who you get. There are going to be some people that go, okay, you uh, have a certain type of personality. I'm just going to let you do your thing. Whereas other people need constant adult supervision. <laughs> I got to the point in my career where I was like, okay, I'm not taking enough risks. I just need to start saying what I actually think. I like how you say um, what you think about um, everything to do with Vancouver, uh, politicians in particular. Have you found pushback from anyone on the stances oh, you take? Since, since day one. Yeah, tell me, since tell me one. about them. Is it fun? Oh, to stir, oh, it's, stir it's, the water. It's hilarious. Yeah, I, I, I once told, I once told a uh, a politician to grow a pair and do her job. Was this on the radio? Um, that this was on the radio. I'm like, it's time to, it's time for this politician and to name here to grow a pair and do their job. And it wasn't. Uh, some people viewed it as a misogynistic comment. In fact, the only person that did was the minister. Uh, so the minister uh, complained to the CBSC, which is the internal radio governing body here in Canada. Uh, and the CBSC adjudicator, who was uh, a, a former Vancouver radio DJ and journalist, had adjudicated that the the term to grow a pair was a generalized term to actually do one's job. I felt vindicated in the fact that the body that was there to set up to protect the radio industry also came to my defense as well, Fantastic. because I wasn't trying to make an offensive comment. I was making a, uh, a fair comment, which was, you're not doing a very good job. Please grow a pair and do the job. <laughs> well, you know, results, um, no matter what you're doing, results uh, keep your 
job intact and you've been successful at doing that. So they probably mm. leave you alone. You know, they used to say, not all not all flowers get treated the same. Some get more water than others because they're more valuable and they're more, they flourish. They bloom with, with greater, uh, you know, intensity. So you're one of the bloomers. So they kind of leave you alone. Is that what's going on? I, I it built up to that yeah. absolutely. When I first started doing talk, I was very much under the wing of Larry Gifford, and then I, I said to him once, "I'm like, do you trust me?" I don't even remember what it was. I guess there was a moment of of me maybe doubting him as a manager, or him maybe doubting me as a, as a talent. And I just said, "Do you trust me?" And he's like, "I trust you implicitly." And from that day forward, I just did my own thing. We covered yeah. two of the reasons you got fired. What were the other two? Jeez, I oh, it's hard to remember. Uh, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to remember. I got fired once uh, from a radio station on Vancouver Island. This is before I got to Vancouver. Uh, this was back in 2012. The pre- then premier Christy Clark was doing a round of uh, media interviews, and she had gone regularly on the uh, Jeff O'Neill show, which is a pretty popular uh, rock station morning show uh, here in Vancouver as well. Still on the air many years. I used later. to run that station, so I know Jeff. Yeah. Right, yeah, you know Jeff quite well. You know the team. Uh, so uh, Jeff would constantly have Christy Clark on the show because Christy Clark did talk radio at uh, the same radio station I did, incidentally, for a while. Uh, and she came on my show, and a listener had asked me to ask the premier if she preferred being a MILF or a cougar. <laughs> uh, and she said, uh, you know, definitely a cougar. She laughed at it. Um, the then president of my radio company uh, didn't think it was funny. Um, I was suspended for two weeks over the Christmas break and then fired. MILF and Cougar are very much in the vernacular, very much in the mainstream at this point. Yes. But, uh, but somehow not allowable on the radio because the radio people are supposed to talk in a different language than all the people in the community. Was that it? Yeah, that was, that was, that was their reasoning. <laughs> uh, plus, I think, they, I think they wanted to cut a giant salary. So... Because uh, I was also the the group program director of the island, so I think they were looking to cut a salary because there was another guy that they cut not long after me who had the second biggest salary. <laughs> so I think it was I think honestly it was probably a cost saving and an easy way out. That's usually the way. The reason's not the reason. It's just convenient. Um, getting fired for you know cause as it were, and uh, and wanting to get fired and sabotaging a job is something that some <laughs> of us have done in our careers. And it, and yeah. it relates, I think, uh, to all of life, to relationships. Let's talk more about relationships uh, outside of work. You mentioned you had a boyfriend when you were first in Canada working radio. Yeah, when I when I when I moved here, right. I came here with an Australian. That uh, that person we're since separated, but uh, he still lives here in uh, in the Lower Mainland as well. Oftentimes, uh, relationships don't survive major life changes like big moves like that. How did it go? How, yep. how quickly did it dissolve? Not long after I got fired, the story I just told you, uh, it's probably a, another six months after that, the relationship survived. And then, uh, and then I, I was the one that pulled the pin. It was, it was hard to move on from that because you know, when you move from one country to another with somebody, that's a big, that's a big commitment that you've made to each other. And it just didn't work out. Uh, and that person decided to stick it out and uh, now, you know, has a great relationship, has a great job. Uh, we, we chat occasionally, but not too often. It was all very exciting all at once. You know, a new relationship, new country, new job, 
Drex, there's, there's assumptions made among um, people about everything under the sun. One of the assumptions about gay citizens of the world is that they're uh, they're huge sluts or they're in open relationships or they're not monogamous or they say they are. Oh, yeah, they're all. Yeah, they no, they are. They're all massive sluts. Um, <laughs> to which I say, what's wrong with sluts? Can, can confirm. Can confirm. I have, a, uh, I have a book called The Ethical Slut, which is uh, highly recommended for anyone because. Yes, it's it's on our shelf, right? I, you know, <laughs> yes. it, it's the old thing. You you have agreed to what you have agreed, and that that is the being loyal is loyal to the agreement, and, and yeah. that's between two people. Tell me about absolutely tell me about your evolution as a man in a relationship, as a gay man in a relationship. Has that evolved and changed a lot over the years? Congratulations on your marriage, by the way. And, yes, and we don't yes, owe me which, any uh, uh, details about anything, but I'm curious about your your views and your perspective on things like that. Well, it's, I, I, I would say it's changed vastly over the years. Um, you know, started out, you know, wanting what I thought everyone wanted was a was a solid monogamous relationship of 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 loving unity and you know i don't think relationships are like that i just each relationship is going to be different it's going to going to be nuanced uh that you're going to have to make concessions they're going to have to make concessions. it's 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 ever evolving um yeah I, I i think i started out sort of thinking monogamy was the way i wanted things but uh I think as I got into my twenties, I was just like, this is, this is not really what I want to be doing. But, uh, every relationship I was in, I was, I was monogamous, but didn't want it to be a monogamous relationship. It just wasn't talked about. It just wasn't a thing that was openly discussed. And, um, thankfully with my current partner and husband, it is absolutely something we actually talked about on the very first date. I love that. I, I think that's the best. Because you know yeah. people are worried worried to scare someone away by being honest, mm. but but why invest in something where you can't be fully fully disclosed? I remember our first date. We, we talked about uh, open relationships. We talked about our exes openly. We asked questions about our previous relationships, which is an extremely healthy thing to do. I think sure. to to be able to have uh, an open, honest dialogue about the other lives that you've lived. Because it's a different life when you're living with somebody else, cohabitating with them. Maybe you have a pet together. It's it's different. And then then a new person enters the fold, and it's good to be able to have that conversation. Because in some relationships, you can't always have that conversation. And if you can't, I mean, it's not sustaining, I don't think, because resentment builds for the things that aren't discussed and the assumptions that are made. Better to, to be upfront and authentic and, 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 and truthful. And like you say, it evolves. You don't you don't say, I'm gonna do this and you're gonna do this and we're gonna do this together mm. and then never talk about it again. It's 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 a discussion that is ongoing forever until until the end of the relationship or of someone's life. And that's it literally how we live our lives is we openly discuss stuff. If there's a question, we ask the question. If we're nervous about it, that happens. It's fine. The discussion, ha having long drawn out discussions, I, I love nothing more than sitting down and having a good chat about something, a new idea, something something different. What did you need to change about yourself to be more successful in that discussion? Anything? Uh, I needed to be more vulnerable. I think I'd sort of built up a, you know, I said to you earlier, I grew up not trusting people. I think I've learned to trust people a little bit more uh, as I've gotten older. And I don't think I always trusted my partner. 
which is you know bad on my part but i think i've i think i've learned to actually trust again i'm glad well that's good to be vulnerable is to be well to open yourself to the true intimacy tell me about your first date how did you meet the man who became oh your goodness. husband and where'd you go um we uh we met on grinder uh believe it or not it was a grinder date uh we met uh at a donut shop <laughs> we we bought a donut we went and sat in a park and had a great discussion about music uh, about life what we had going on in our careers because i was i was sitting out a corporate non-compete and he was waiting for his new job to start so it was it was, it was good. It was a great discussion. And I, I, it's, I think it started maybe one thirty in the afternoon and I didn't get home until maybe 10 or 11 that oh, night. Great. Just hanging out, talking, playing songs to each other in my car. Yeah, it was, it was, it was wonderful. Did you make out? Oh, um, no, no, I didn't because I wasn't feeling too great that day. I, but I pushed through it. I since found out I had a, I had a stomach flu. <laughs> Back to the and pants, I was like, back to the pants right, shooting from earlier, right? It's, <laughs> it's the one right? place you don't want to so, shoot your pants. No, especially, on especially on a date. yeah, exactly uh, on a date. Yeah, um, no, I don't think I don't think we did make out on the first day. Second day, no, no, yeah, p- possibly. I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah, was it hot and heavy though? Pretty quickly after that. Um, yeah, we, we like to tell people that we dated in reverse, um, <laughs> because we, because we were both not doing much. We kind of, and it was uh, sort of midway through the pandemic. So we just kind of, uh, cohabitated with each other for about five weeks and nested. It was wonderful. Um, what was your, uh, what was your, and what was his, uh, grinder profile like? How much did it reveal about who you are? A picture and what did it say? What did mine yeah, say? Yeah, what did his say? Oh, jeez, I don't remember. Mine was obviously, you know, desperate single man in his early 40s, something along those lines, I guess. <laughs> um, no, no, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think you've got to have at least one shirtless picture. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the rules. <laughs> um, you, you, now these days you have to have an album of like dirty pictures. Um, that's part of the deal as well. You, it, 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 look, it's whatever you want it to be, but, you know... Um, what was my what was his profile like? I think he had a, a couple of cute shots as well. I, I just he had an interesting face. Yeah. Um Grinders Grinders a crazy place. Oh, oh it's a it's a just a shit it's show. A shit show. There's the guys that just really want to want to probably um dirty talk enough that they can go and and get off and you'll never oh, absolutely. ever meet them. Yeah. They're probably never meeting anyone. There's, there's the non-meters. There's the there's the uh, there's yeah. the incessant chatters. There's uh-huh, the picture uh-huh. collectors. What else is there? It's it's quite a it's quite an ecosystem. <laughs> it is. It's uh and and I look. I won't ever criticize it at all. Um, we are we are humans, and we all have different kinks and 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 different things that we find interesting. Some people you know, find their fulfillment in just chatting with people. You know, like you said, some people might find that fulfillment in uh, collecting pictures of other people's privates. Yes. It all, you know, it's all, we're we're all just (laughs) humans that have gone, you know what? I think this works for me. Well, a lot of fantasy involved in it. And uh, so much flakiness, um, as I recall. I think I got on and off (laughs) Grindr probably in the last... uh, 10 years, I don't know, 40 times. 
I'm in. I'm yeah. in. I'm in. I'm in. This is great. This is great. This is great. This is fun. This is fun. Uh, this is yeah. stupid. Why am I doing this? Like, you're just like every other person right. that uses Grindr. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm deleting it off my phone. I'm putting it back on. I'm deleting it off my okay. Endlessly. Like any dating site, really. The one area of, of Grindr that I think is most uh, prevalent, and I think it speaks to the prevalence of the preference that is identified as bisexuality. There's a million guys on Grindr that call themselves straight but questioning. There's, mm. and, and the hallmarks of this closeted bi person or closeted gay person, because they haven't figured it out yet, maybe, is no, no photo, um, uh, a phony name, um, very yeah. little information. Or, or they're uh, discreet. Discreet is the, 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 the word, yeah. That's, that's the most yeah. common word. And then so you're like, well, I understand you're not going to post a Facebook, but send me one. They're like, no, no, I'm discreet. Yeah, and that's that's when I usually tap. Well, out. yeah. How 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 would you even know you're meeting the person? That, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, which leads me to to, to wonder if, uh, well, they say that bisexual you know people are are the most um, subject to depression and to um, and to suicide and to and to difficulty at work and to difficulty in family and to difficulty in friends. So what's your experience with bi? Because there were a lot of gay people that suggest that being bi is just on the highway to being gay. Yeah, I don't agree with that. My, my sister is bisexual, has been since she was a teenager. And she has had equally loving relationships with men and women at different times in her life. She's in, a, she's in her late 30s now. Who was it? It was actually a friend of ours at a dinner recently. I, I pulled him up on it because uh he mentioned that i think his nephew or co cousin was uh, bisexual but he's like oh he's probably gay and i'm like well that's not a that's not a fair thing to say let him be the one to tell you what he thinks if you know if he tells you he's bisexual then believe what he tells you there's no reason to start making assumptions there really isn't you know? i wonder what it stems from I, I guess it's just people are mimicking what they've heard more than anything Every single thing is led from an assumption, right? And I think it's, I think you said it perfectly right at the start. Uh, you know, oh, bisexuals on the road to being gay. Look, for some people, sure. Um, for some people, it might be comfortable to come out as bi first, and then they get comfortable with being gay, and then they announce that as well as a second coming out. But, you know, if someone, if a person tells you they're bisexual, just believe them. Yeah. Why, it's, it's their life. Let them live it how they choose to do it. Let me pull this up. Um, there's a really good um, definition that a, a woman named Robin Oaks, who's an educator, has come up with in the definition of bisexuality. She says, I call myself bisexual because I acknowledge that I have in myself the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one gender, not necessarily at the same time. Not necessarily in the same way, not necessarily to the same degree. My sister's a perfect example of that. Someone who throughout the course of her life has had relationships separately with both men and other women, and she loves her life. You know, we've all accepted her as, as she is. That's an important thing for everyone moving forward is always, you know, if, uh, if you've got a family member who comes out to you as bisexual or as anything, just listen. Because we always tend to, well, it could be bad for your career. It could be, you know, bad for this, that, or the other. It's like, no, let's let's not give advice to people. Just how about we just listen to what people need to say? Because yeah, I agreed. And if it's taken them this long to actually come out and say the thing they want to say that they've never said before, it takes mm -hmm. courage mm -hmm. to do that, and we have to listen.
and believe and, and live and let live, as my dad used to say. It must be great that you knew who you were and could say who you were. I'm so pleased that people today have more ease at doing that. Do you think, do you think that's the case? Uh, I think it depends on your environment and your family. Um, you know, I, like I said, you know, I may have told a friend when I was very young, but it, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't till later on as a teenager that I actually had that conversation with my parents, but they, like I said, they already knew they just said, that's fine. We're, 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 we're good with whoever you are. That was literally the conversation, uh, but that's not the conversation that some kids do have with their parents. Uh, it can go sideways. Yeah. E- so. Even in, even in a, in a, in a society like Canada, that's so relatively open. I mean, we're not in the Middle East. You'd be surprised uh, the the number of kids that run away from home um, that are part of our community because they just, uh, they're just not accepted for who they are or where they are. So they, they run and seek. And, and that's super sad. One of the words that you see in American politics, particularly on Twitter, which, which I'm trying to, every day I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Or I just have to start muting people that drive me crazy because, you know, the algorithms mm. send stuff to you that you you are going to get heated about and you are going to disagree with and it is going to piss you off. And and why am I subjecting myself to that? And yet I still am. Uh, the right wing of America is is an endless source of inspiration for rage. <laughs> grooming, <laughs> grooming is the word that it seems to be prevalent. Hashtag groom. Um, and, it, and it came about as of late with uh, drag shows. Everyone's up in arm about uh, drag queens reading to children, reading stories to mm. children. How dare yeah. they? They're grooming our children to be, to be well, I guess at the, at the bottom. <laughs> the Sarah Silverman commentary on it's wonderful. She goes, at the end of the day, you're just a bunch of fucking bigots and you're, uh, you're homophobic. You're not worried mm. about anything but that. You're worried about your kids being gay. How dare they? How dare drag queens exist and walk about amongst us? Yeah, grooming. Um, does that piss you off? What What are the What are the buttons that are um, activating you to, to to push back? Yeah, that's been happening here on the West Coast as well, where uh, dwa- a drag queen story hour happens at a library somewhere. And uh, uh, it's always uh, the anti-vaxxers, anti-Justin Trudeau, uh, anti-Joe Biden types that show up in their trucks. Right? You know why? Because they usually have COVID stickers on their cars as well. <laughs> yeah. um, they're one and the same people. And um, there's a few there's a few queer f- folks out this way that have organized... Uh, counter protests to be happening when these happen i'm i'm thinking of going to one in the next few days here um but i i i just someone pointed out a a pretty interesting cultural reference uh, in regards to why people are suddenly terrified by drag queens when i'll show you i've got a tattoo of a drag queen on my uh right oh i love it but it's 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 hugo weaving mitzi from priscilla queen of the desert of course it is which was a, f- a film that came out as an Australian film. If you don't know who Hugo Weaving is, he's Agent Smith from The Matrix. It's an Australian film, came out in 1993, 1994. It was the first queer anything that I saw, right, uh, as, a, as a kid, as a teenager. And when that movie came out, it, was, it had rave reviews and everyone thought it was a great movie. Uh, and then not long after that, you may remember Patrick Swayze, Wesley Snipes, and John Leguizamo did a movie that was called uh, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. And they were uh, like a traveling band of American drag queens. 
Uh, and everyone thought it was hilarious that Patrick Swayze was in drag. I, I feel drag queens were more embraced in the 90s than they are now. Yet we've got these amazing television shows like, you know, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race or uh, what the, the, there's a couple of brothers that, that do the show called Dragula uh, on another network. Then there's another show, which I think is Canadian called Call Me Mother, that showcase drag queens and, and it's like a pageant competition. Um, and these shows are hysterically popular with people. Um, when I used to work over at the talk station, one of my board operators, Matt, uh, him and his wife would watch it. It was their favorite television show. So in one respect, I'm like, oh my God, there's, there's, there's people watching reality TV shows about people that are in my community. And then there's these guys over here, uh, and gals over here that are showing up to protest story time in a library. <laughs> That ki- that parents are there with their kids, going, "Oh, you sh- let's go watch a drag queen tell a story, right?" So it's 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 as simple as if you don't like it, don't go to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it's like a free to air television station. If you don't like the channel you're watching, you change the channel. It's it's a revolutionary idea. What's happened? Is it the influence of of, of the extreme right that yes. would have taken the what we would have yeah, considered the, the moderates and made them even more extreme? It's total. Uh, it's total silliness. It is that. It's t- absolutely. There's no way. No other way to describe it. It's just people doing silly things for attention. Uh, to let you know about what they think about what you should be doing instead of worrying about their own shit. <laughs> right? That's what it is. Well, the need to have an opinion. And, and you said everything's changed. Social media has changed everything. And I question the authenticity of some of these opinions. Taking a stand for the sake of taking a stand. But do you really believe your and, own shit? And look, some of those people have, you know, in, in their mind, well thought out opinions. A lot of those people, you can always tell that, you know, their opinions based on a television show they watched. It's scary. There was a there was a musician years ago that came over to my house with another musician. And, and I get along well with people who are musicians because I tend to find that they're fairly moderate, liberal, left of center, reasonable, compassionate understanding and accepting people that's that's a generalization but that's that's kind of where i go with musicians by and large that's been my experience so i'm on a a thread the other day it was it was a sarah silverman commentary you know calling out right-wing bullshit that are calling out drag shows as being somehow grooming their children to be gay and uh, and I see this name and I'm like, oh, there's 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 Al from, you know, the backyard party, the blues singer. Oh, he looks really good. He's lost a lot of weight. He's taking care of himself. And there he is spewing. Do you have children, Jeff? That was his first go to, because obviously if I don't have children, I don't understand any any concepts yeah. about anything. Wow. And then yeah. and then he and then he and then he cited mental illness. Obviously, these drag queens have mental illness. And then from there, he just went completely off the rails. I pushed back slightly with respect. Now you've seen who that person is and what they stand for. That's it, right? Sarah's bottom line was, if I would have anyone look after my children, it would be the people that have have fought the... the the sexism, the the marginalization of who they are, and done it with yeah. some grace, with uh, with authenticity and compassion, and a silly worry about a silly thing that at the end of the day doesn't matter and won't matter in five years. 
And and speaking of people that can fuck off anytime soon, yeah, the the, the trucks that uh, you must have followed closely, even though you were five provinces away in Ottawa. Yeah. I just wanted. Well, they to left from here. Oh, they so, left yeah. from there, and they all converged in Ottawa, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh, but imagine yeah. beeping your horns all night to make a point that was lost on me. Um, freedom, uh, as as one of my guests recently said, um, freedom has been, or the word freedom has been co opted. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you're moderate and intelligent, and and do a radio show and then speak to uh, sanity. You know, for for those people that still have terrestrial radio shows, you have a platform uh, that you can use to other people's benefit. Do it. So uh, how often do you get complaints about your show lately? I get one or two a week. Good. Keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes the boss forwards them to me. I'm sure that like, you know, like many other bosses, I'm sure there's ones they don't forward to me. Sometimes people complain directly to me, which is always my favorite. <laughs> and, and that's it's usually uh, via email or is that social media? Uh, email via text, yeah. And how do you deal? Uh, social media. Oh, I deal with it like an adult. I, I reason with them. You know, if they say something ridiculous to me, then I don't reason with them. I just set them on ignore. <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll engage with most people if they've got a reasonable request or, or, or thought about something. Absolutely. So, so, so what kind of a wedding did you have? Did you have a proper wedding or, or did you go to City Hall? What was it like? What did you do? We, uh, we eloped on a Monday um, and got married on a beach on some rocks. We had a wedding officiant come out and do that. But then we had a big party for all of our friends that Saturday night at our house. So we had it catered, an open bar. It was great. It was, it was good. I invited, you know, my, my husband invited all of his friends. I invited all my friends and we just had a party at the house. It was great. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Was it a dress up thing? We all got dressed up for it. We treated it like it was a proper wedding. Um, uh, I think I'm still paying for it, actually. <laughs> um, which, which was great. It was, it was. I got to tell you, it was the most fun I've had uh, in a really long time, and it was a, it was a fun time because it was our party organized by us for people we like, <laughs> including Jody uh, Vance, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, my uh, my best woman. Yeah, she's an amazing human. She is, isn't As, she? Uh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. She's got. Uh, She's got many skills that people don't know about. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to be invited to one of your parties. Maybe your anniversary party. You should maybe invite her. You should get her on this podcast. That would be an interesting chat. Yeah, what, what is she doing? She does her own podcast. She has her own television show um, with, that she produces and owns. Um, and what is the content of that? Uh, it's it's a it's a TV chat show like a like a like a like a newsy talk show. It's it's a lot of fun, and they it's their own design, so it's whatever they want. Which is, it's it's great to see uh, two women that I know, uh, one that I've worked with and one that I adore as a friend, uh, be able to write their own rules. What's the other woman's name? Uh, that's Linda Steele, who uh, for many years was a news anchor in Edmonton on uh, ITV, then Global. She moved out to BC many years ago, and we ended up doing a talk show together on CKNW. So. Do you remember the name of the uh, show these two have? Yeah, it's called uh, Steele and Vance. Do they talk sex? Do they talk relationships? They might. <laughs> <laughs> if I ask nicely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just you just have to ask, I guess. Take care of your heart. Take care of your health. You have to be on this world for a long, long time, Drax. Thank you, Jeff. I will be. Now that you're married, and uh, you have you have a, you have a dog too, right? Yeah, I've got a Chihuahua who's actually been very well behaved during this. Interview. I didn't even know it was there. What's his yeah. name? 
His name's Andy. Andy the Chihuahua. Yeah, he's eight, and uh, yeah, he's a lot of energy. <laughs> was he your first Chihuahua? Yes, yes, he was. And you'd get another one? Um, probably not. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, they're, I think he's the last one. They're crazy. Yeah, they're crazy. But they're, you know, but but I I I I yeah, I I he's great though. He's funny. And little dogs tend to live a long time, which is wonderful. Oh my god, yes, he's going to be around forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope he's going to be here until he has no teeth. <laughs> that happens to the best of us. Uh Drax, thanks so much and uh and I'll catch you at 6 a.m. Monday to Friday on Jack FM yeah. in Vancouver. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Come on, let's go. To the blue hotel. Please take me by to the blue hotel. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.